between a rock and a hard place? Are you not sure if you're a sinner or a saint? Do you think you've lost your salvation? Let me take you to the New King James Version. In the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 12 through 14, and Jesus says, What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is strained? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Welcome to Save the Lost at All Costs. Posted by Save the Lost at All Costs, Inc. Featuring your sister in Christ and humble servant of the Lord, Nina S. Griffin. Good afternoon. You're listening to Sister Nina S. Griffin, and we are on Save the Lost at All Costs. We're going to open up the phone lines right away. If you're local, you'll dial 702-650-5558. Again, that is, I say again, let me correct that, 702-650-5588. That is the local number. Again, if you would like to join in on our discussion today, our local number for you to call in would be 702-650-5588. If you're calling outside the Las Vegas area, we do have a toll-free number for you. It's 800-366-8883. Again, it's 800-366-8883. Also, we are being streamed live from KKVV's website, which is www.kkvv.com. Hello and God bless. I just waved to you. And we're also being streamed live from Save the Lost at All Costs' website. And our web address is www.savethelostlv.org. If you have missed any of our previous broadcasts, again, please visit our website. That web address would be www.savethelostlv.org. We are so excited to be able to archive all our previous broadcasts. And again, the gospel is always free on our watch. If you have a Apple device, we are also being archived on iTunes. So again, the gospel is free on our watch. I really encourage you to check it out. Now, we usually have a cell phone number to listen to KKVV anytime you like, but I see the number has changed and I want to be able to give it to you. So you need to correct what we have been previously giving you and we have a new number now and it works in the United States. So I am even going to have to add this number to my list of contacts. That number would be 605-313-0630. Again, that number to listen to KKVV anytime you like to include Save the Lost at All Costs is 605-313-0630. So this month is National Recovery Month for the month of September. So I have asked someone who is very near and dear to my heart to uh, join in on our discussion today. I want to be able to give some recognition to this individual um, this is something that's near and dear to my heart, and um, it's a, a mission of mine. It's something that I, I do a lot of to support, and I'm very excited that uh, I have known about this since I was a very small child, and in adult life, I'm still uh, with it. I, I thank my mother, uh, you know, my grandparents, you know, my father, uh, my brothers, and a lot of aunts and uncles and 
other people that have encouraged me in this, and it affects everyone. So I'm going to bring my pastor on the line. That would be Pastor Joseph E. Terry, Jr. Pastor, can you hear me? Are you there? Yes, I am. All right. Well, I don't know if you're watching uh, on the uh, Internet, but I am holding up your book. You remember that book that you wrote, right? Absolutely. Okay. So first of all, I want to thank you for giving me another level of uh, spiritual guidance, instruction, exhortation, discipleship in the field of recovery. Uh, you and I have talked many times, even though you and I recently talked this week, and we truly believe collectively that the Word of God, the Holy Bible, is truly a wonderful work of recovery, of redemption, Amen. of resurrection. And this is something that uh, has always been God's plan for us. Amen. So I'd like you to give us a little thought behind that. Tell us a little bit about your book. And I have another book that I want to uh, uh, talk about that just recently came on uh, the market for people to be able to learn a lot about what's going on in the field of recovery, especially when it comes to opioid um, addiction. It's pandemic now. And everybody, uh, I think, that uh, is awake uh, has heard about that. So, sir, would you elaborate, please? About your book, and then you know a little bit on the opioid crisis. Sure, sure. Uh, first, I want to uh, give God praise. Amen. For all He's done in my life, anything that has happened in my life that was good, it was because God did it. On the back of the cover of my book. I'm holding it up now for people to see who are actually tuning in uh, via the Internet. Right. The book's entitled Getting the Monkey Off Your Back. Mm-hmm. I think I need to describe the cover. Okay. Because some people will pick up the book and look at it, and they'll think, this person has written a book and don't know the difference between a gorilla and a monkey because on the cover, the front cover of the book is a big gorilla. And there's a reason for that. That is a subliminal message. And that is really a message that the problem is bigger than what you think. So on the back of the cover. Okay. I'm turning it to the back now. I have given the purpose for the writing of this book, and I'm going to read it. It says, this book was written for the sole purpose of setting people free from addictive behavior. If a person struggles with an addiction to alcohol, drugs, overeating, pornography, or sex, gambling, or any other type of addiction, this book gives clear direction for recovery. It clearly explains the challenges the various approaches to recovery. Moreover, it gives the reader step-by-step guidance in experiencing a recreation of their lifestyle, establishing power, manageability, and stability. There are many self-help books produced and published for the purpose of helping people overcome addiction. 
But not until now has anyone published a book that challenged the disciplines of the behavioral sciences, the 12-step process, psychology and psychiatry, and the biblical-based approach. The questions are being answered as to whether these approaches really work, and then the process for recovery is given in a simple format. If you don't need this book, buy it for someone who does. And of course, on the bottom portion of the back side of the cover, you can find my bio. And I won't even go into that. But the book consists of eight chapters, which are all significant. You have chapter and then subheadings that covers different areas of the approach to recovery. Chapter one is the problem. Chapter two is seeking the solution. Chapter three is dealing with resentment. Chapter four is element of forgiveness. Chapter five is called to serve. Chapter six is carrying the message. Chapter seven is accountability. And chapter eight is family membership. And personally, I've been in recovery since January the 15th, 1987. And in my experience, I hear a lot being shared in the 12-step group settings about recovery and doing the work of recovery. But my personal experience is that recovery is a lifestyle. It's not work that you do. It's something that you implement in your daily livelihood, and it becomes a way of life. Just to make reference to Scripture, because everything that I have written in the book was motivated by or predicated by Scripture. And in Ephesians chapter 4, those who have their Bibles, if they want to go there. What version are you coming out of, sir? Well, I'm using the New King James right now because I believe that probably it's going to be more feasible for people who are listening rather than the King James. Okay. So the New King James version is what I'm using right now. All right. And I'm in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. But actually, I'm going to read through verse 6. So Paul says here, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now, when Paul says, I beseech you, he's really pleading with the audience, those who were sitting before him, to really join him in a Christian lifestyle. And somebody out there's probably saying, well, Uh, You sound convincing, uh, 
pastor, brother, uh, you know, minister. But I don't see that. Well, the word beseech there is the word parakaleo, which means one who is pleading. So we, we know right off that it's not a casual invitation. Because Paul knows how serious it is to make Christianity more than just a label. It's got to be a way of life. As he goes on, he says, he says, I beseech you to walk. The word walk there is not talking about advancing by steps. It's talking about your manner of life. The word is parapeteo, which is talking about your lifestyle. The word worthy is the word axios, which means of equal measure. So what it's saying is that your walk ought to match your talk, or what we've heard many years, practice what you preach. Your lifestyle ought to show if you're truly living a Christian life. If you say you're a believer, if you say you're a Christian, then your lifestyle ought to say the same thing. Then he says, of the calling with which you were called. Some folks is claiming God called them when they called themselves. And we've got to really be careful that we're not focusing on, and this is something that you and I and some in our circle have discussed for years, that there's a lot of theatrics and you call it Christiantainment. There's a lot of formality, a lot of stuff going on in churches, having a good time. You know, there's a, a song, a sermon, and a dance. Folks lead the same way they came in. You know, I was in a service today at a particular uh, church body, and there's a lot of speaking in tongues and things going on. And look, I, I, I don't have anything against speaking in tongues because I do know that uh, it is a gift that God gives, but order. The issue is order. We can't just be doing it to uh, look hyper-spiritual or sound hyper-spiritual. It has to really be that God is the one who's gifting us at that particular time. And then we need to understand what it's for. Because when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it talks about tongues being assigned not to those who believe, but to those who are unbelievers. And if you say I'm praying in the Spirit, then praying in the Spirit is between you and God. It's not openly in the public aspects of the congregation. So I'm talking about recovery actually being the lifestyle that I've chosen to live, and it is a choice. People that are hooked on opioids, they have physical stuff that's going on, along with the emotional experience they're having. Some people are only taking the stuff just to to feel normal because they're going through withdrawals. They're having um, GI problems. They're having 
problems with uh, their body, with their joints, everything. They're in pain because of how that impacts their system. So to just tell somebody, well, look, you go home and fall on your knees and pray and ask God to remove that taste from your mouth, and that that's not all there is to that. But here's what I do know. If you are serious, if you're an individual who is hooked and you are serious about getting help, there are people who have fell on their knees called out to God, and God delivered them instantly. That does happen. But for many, it does not happen that way. They have to go into uh, some type of rehab. Uh, they have to, you know, detox. And But w- once they've detoxed, then what they do after that is determining whether or not they're going to survive that addiction. And there are others, Minister Nina, that give up and say, I can't beat this thing. And you know what? A lot of the overdoses that are happening uh-huh. are not accidents. They're, listen, most people who shoot and dope, and when I say shoot and dope, I'm talking about heroin, because you very rarely going to find a person that have an opioid problem shooting speedballs. You know, that's where they mix in heroin and cocaine together. That They're not doing that. They're trying to just have a normal day. They're just trying to get through the day without being sick and stuff like that. But most people that are shooting dope know how much they can handle. Some people shoot more than they know they can handle because they're too tired to keep doing it, and they just surmise that, you know what, I'm going to go out with a blast. And the way they stop it is they OD, and they OD to death, because drug addicts OD all the time, whether they're shooting dope or taking pills. They, When a person overdoses and dies, that's not the first time they've overdosed. But here's what I believe to be the most significant aspects of this thing we call recovery. First of all, recovery is biblical. It's biblical. If we look at first John chapter one. Now are you going to read the uh, verses that you started with in uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to them. Okay. So I'm we're going to go back to So them. we're going to first John. I'm listening we're going to, to first John chapter one. Okay. And First John chapter 1, I could quote it, but I'm going to read it. Okay. If you have it already, you can read it. I'm in First John, so where do you want me to go from there? I want you to read verse 9. So is this chapter 1? Yeah. Okay. First John chapter 1, read verse 9. All right. The Word of God says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That was John, First John, chapter one, verse nine. Right. That verse is a recovery verse. Let me explain to the audience. That verse has nothing to do with salvation. It has everything to do with repentance. 
and the repentance portion of it is to restore right fellowship with the Father. You could be saved, but when you sin, what you do is break fellowship with the Father. So you pray and confess, and you don't just tell God you're sorry for what you're doing, but your intention is to not do it again. It says he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That is recovery. Right there. Amen. And the addict has to embrace that. Because once you go in to the people who give you the professional help, and if you're on a drug that is causing you to go through withdrawals, then you may need detox. Not everybody go to detox. But most people who have a problem with opioids need detox. Once you go through detox, then it's time for you to set some things in order. Number one, you find somebody who's experienced what you are going through, and they've overcome it. Now, let's go back to where we were at in, in Ephesians chapter 4. Mm-hmm. Okay, because I stopped at... You did verse 1, so we should pick right. up at verse 2. Right. It, it, it says here, with, with all lowliness and gentleness, and, and this word lowliness... Um, Tapinofrosone, that, that, that's the word. I don't have this stuff in front of me, okay? I'm doing this stuff by memory, but what it's talking about is you taking a step down or you vacating down. In other words, getting off your high horse. Being willing to receive instruction and direction. And that could be from God on down to whoever God has sent to minister to your needs while you are on this journey we call recovery. I, I meet, Look, I meet so many people who have been in AA rooms, uh, that's Alcoholics Anonymous, or NA, Narcotics Anonymous, or CA, Cocaine Anonymous, or Al-Anon, which is where Generally, people go who they may not be the addict in the family, but they go there to get help because not only the addict needs help, but the folks that have been injured by or exposed to the addict's behavior, been stolen from, lied to, they they need help too. And the thing that I see missing often is the genuine element of God in a real sense. In other words, that God, or who they're claiming their God to be, is not some inanimate object. But he's a real person. You know, and and when we deal with addiction, Regardless of what it is, it don't have to be alcohol, it don't have to be drugs. I mean, it could be 
and especially in a place like Las Vegas, it could be a number of things that a person could be addicted to. And it could be just as difficult for them as one who's on opioids. But there is a solution, and it starts with where are you seeking help from? Once you get past the detox, if you're dealing with a substance and your body's going through withdrawals, once you get through detox, now you need to set up yourself to get spiritually fit and that is often what's missing in the 12-step groups. Because people talk about God and people talk about praying, but the thing is, it's just like when uh, Paul uh, met the uh, Epicureans and the Stoics at Mars Hill, and and he preached to them, and they had all of these statues of gods, but then they had one statue that didn't have a name on it, and Paul told him, this is the one right here you're looking for. He's an unknown God to you. All these other ones here won't help you. But the one that you got right here that don't have the name on it, that's the one you're missing. And that's what's missing often in people's approach to recovery. And there's, there's people who can get lengths of clean time under their belt. They can get, you know, uh, uh, some days, and they can get uh, some months, and they can get some years. But functioning, being able to function and have a life of normalcy is very difficult for them because they don't have that spiritual foundation. And I'm talking about having a real relationship with a real God. And the Bible introduces us to that possibility. It's available to anybody who wants it. You know? And and if we look at Scripture, we can easily see what's in there. I'm going to go ahead and finish on chapter 4 here. We're still in Ephesians chapter 4. Right. Then I'd like, like to go somewhere after we finish that. Oh, Absolutely. Not only does Paul uh, plead with people to join him in a Christian lifestyle, but he tells how. Then he says, gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. And, of course, this right here, um, bearing, it, 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 it puts you in the mind of an ant, and you know how an ant can carry objects that's much larger than they are. Mm-hmm. And so the ant is bearing up under, okay? What the ant is able to do is carry a burden even bigger than themselves. And here when it talks about bearing with one another, we able to carry another brother or sister, regardless of how big of a burden they are. We're bearing one another's burdens. And so it then it goes on to say, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. 
we ought to always, when we are in a circle of believers, we ought to always be working to unify the group. And, and that's something, in my experience, that I've seen as a tremendous problem. When people have a problem, drug addiction or, or otherwise, often what you'll discover is that there are a number of people that are more willing to criticize and to put down and to demean and to challenge people's character and everything than they are to try and help them to get better. That's what we got to come together on that. And I know that's discussions that we've had about, uh, you know, approaching the community and, and giving ourselves to service and reaching out to those that we know are in this struggle, that, that are in the middle of this storm. And so I just wanted to share just a little bit there. I mean, it's more that I have, but I I don't want to take up the whole show. Well, yeah. uh, I want to listen to what you're going to bring in because I know you got something to bring in. But I just wanted people to hear my heart because, look, I've been on this journey for over 32 years, and God's my witness that I've been able to survive and not take a drink, not take a hit, and not put a, a shank in my arm. Uh, a spike in my arm. Uh, I have survived it. I think I know a little bit about it after 32 years plus. Uh, are we so, also able to, to tell the listeners that you've even had surgeries and will not take a narcotic? Well, you know what? When they put the uh, Clayton six screws in my neck when I had the cervical fusion, they had me hooked up to morphine. And he came in and he told me, you know, look, we got you hooked up. All you got to do is push the button when you need some and everything. I said, take it out. Take it out. I don't need it. Well, you know, this going to affect your blood pressure and this and that and that. They put me on Percocet and um, they had me, uh, the, the dosage on there, I was supposed to take like two pills um, every four to six hours. I cut one in half, and I take half of it, and I throw up all over the place. And I went back to work after four weeks, and I was at work, um, and I took a half of one, and I couldn't stop throwing up. And they sent me home and told me, don't come back to work until I was well. I didn't take nothing after that. And I was now taking it by order of the doctor. But my blood pressure was in triple digits, both numbers, mm -hmm. okay? The, the systolic and the diastolic. Mm -hmm. And you know the bottom number is the, the, the crucial one. If it's really right. uh, high, if it's above 90 and it, mm -hmm. you get past 100, then you, you get, you're in trouble. But, but my doctor told me uh, that the reason my blood pressure was up that high was because I wasn't taking the pain medication. I told him I'm not going to take it. <laughs> I'm a dope fiend, and I've been clean X number of years, and I know when I took that stuff and it made me throw up like that, that was a sign to me that I'm not supposed to take that. Amen. And so uh, he told me, well, if you don't, you could re 
possibly be risking a heart attack or a stroke. And I told them I'll take my chances. Amen. And when I have anything done now, if they prescribe any medication for me, I always tell them, give me a non-narcotic. I don't take narcotics. Praise God. I don't care what they're doing to me. If they're doing surgery or doing anything to me, I tell them, if you can, don't give me a narcotic. Give me a non-narcotic. You know, and that's the way I've been living for the last 32 years plus. Well, praise God. And it worked for me. Amen. Well, I want to finish these uh, few verses. I want to read them, and then I want to go over to what I have for you today. And I want to let you know that Brother Dale is listening. And he has a special message for you, Pastor Terry. I read the one for me, and I want to share it with you after we get off air. But I want you to let you know that Brother Dale is listening. And we love you, Brother Dale, and thank you for that. So verse 4, I'm in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. I'm still in the New King James Version. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Five, one Lord, one faith one baptism, verse 6, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So That's the foundation. Amen. So you, you mentioned that we have to work at unity. Unity does, does not happen, correct? It just does not happen. That is right. something that we have to work at. So I want to bless you and the listeners with Luke chapter 9. And I want to read a couple of verses. But I do have a Greek word, Pastor Terry, and I know you'll help me with the pronunciation. So um, the Greek word that I have comes out of Strong's Greek 3498. Again, it's Strong's Greek 3498. And it is nekros, N-E-K-R-O-S, and it means death like a physical dead, a dead body, or to be spiritually dead. So that's what I have, and I'm spelling it N-E-K-R-O-S. So that's the word that I have today. And you've given us a lot of Greek words. I will include them when I upload the um, broadcast for today. So uh, we have met more than our quota. We promised two, and we have several more than two. So I'm very excited about that. So thank you for sharing, Pastor. Amen. So amen, amen. we're going to Luke By chapter... By the way, that their words pronounced Nicross. Okay. So we are going to Luke chapter 9, and we are going to look at verses 59 and 60. Okay. Again, Luke chapter 9, we are looking at verses 59 and 60. We're still in the New King James Version, and the Word of God says this. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. 60. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now, there's a lot going on, Pastor, in these two verses. It's power packed. Amen. So the thing is, is that if you will see in verse 59, he says, follow me. And if we remember when he was at the shores of Galilee and he looked at the fishermen, Peter and his brother, 
And what did he say to them? Follow me. And they dropped everything. And the sons of Zebedee did the same thing, and they followed him. Now, these men were in a family business. Fishing is what they knew. But all he did was stand and look at them, and then he said those two words, and they dropped everything. Now, that would be the call. Yeah, I agree with you. So that is the call. Absolutely. To service. They're not volunteers at this time. It's the difference between volunteering, doing God's work, and being called. And they knew unequivocally they were being called, and they understood who they were being called by. Like you said, some people call themselves. You have to catch that in your spirit. <laughs> well, so let, you, let, you're, let, right let, the, let, you're right on the money. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm tuning up, man of God. I got something for you today. Amen? Okay. All right. And then he says, look at the other part of 59. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Oh, okay. Here we go. God, I got to do this before I serve you. God, I've got to do this before uh, I'm willing to give up uh, my time. See, that's the whole thing. God is always hearing your list about what you have to do first. Now, you have to understand, in Jewish culture, when you die, you get buried the same day. So I can't imagine him going down to Palm Mortuary and have to pay him some money and look at caskets and, you know, calling sister so-and-so and and brother so-and-so, are you available to play some music? What about the obituaries? He didn't have those concerns. We have to understand who the target audience was and how they understand what these scriptures meant. So right away, as soon as you die, you get buried. So it doesn't take a whole lot. People were dying every day. And it does not really say if this person's father was in, indeed dead. He might have been saying, it's just my opinion, I can't tell from this right here, is that once my father dies, because I have a duty, usually the first son has to bury the father. And when that happens, then I'll get to you. So, but what was Jesus' reply? Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. See, you have a kingdom of nature or natural, and then you got a supernatural kingdom, the kingdom of grace. Can you imagine God wrapped in flesh calling him to service and telling him to go preach to the kingdom of God. Amen? And he's telling him, hold on, hold on, man of God, let me get this out. Hold on. And says, oh no, I've got to bury my father. But you got to catch this in your spirit. He says, let the dead bury their dead. So when you got worldly things going on, there's always somebody worldly to take care of it. But when you are given the call, when you are called out, when you are singled out, and he tells you to go therefore and preach guess what pastor everything else has to take a triple back seat now you got the mic you know what there's one element that i think is overlooked by a lot of people and that is before service there must be surrender amen and and when we surrender we're willing to give up everything that we've been holding on to that's kept us. 
from being able to overcome addiction or whatever our struggle might be. Somebody's listening and their struggle is they, they're in a marriage and it's uh, uh, drama and chaos. Mm-hmm. Somebody else is listening. They're being abused. Mm-hmm. Somebody else is li- listening. Uh, they're being mistreated on their job. Somebody else is listening. The doctor just told them that there's nothing they can do for them, and they're still looking around for doctors. They haven't even considered praying. They're doing everything they can think of, and then finally when they run out of stuff to do, they say, well, I guess there's nothing else left to do but pray. Well, pray first. Amen. But, see, we have to also understand that this phrase about letting the dead bury the dead may be better understood by a Jew because a Jew knew that things were dead to him. You know, uh, that's dead to me. I'm Sin is dead to me. Uh, the world is dead to me. Right, right, see, right. See, they understood what the word dead mean. It, it had two meanings. It had a real literal meaning and it had a figurative meaning that it was about a spiritual thing being dead Absolutely. so they so they understood that so dead is being used two different ways in this particular verse so they understood and and check this out pastor ungodly people were dead to them they didn't fool around with them so uh they would definitely separate themselves so we have to understand that they knew who Jesus was as far as being the... We're not talking about just lost people, but we're talking about people who have made a stand to reject receiving Christ. Also, Pastor, you have to understand there are people who want to tell us about the things of God, how God's house operates, and they have a total disdain for it. And I just want to, you know, get the listener to really understand how is somebody who is totally against what your Lord and Savior stands for. He That's built the church. He is the church. Hello? And then That's they want to try to have a discussion with you, uh, a debate, as if they even care. So I'm just like, why are you wasting your time with people who are volunteering to be fools? Okay, so I I don't I don't suffer fools. I don't suffer fools. I don't take commands from demons, devils, imps or simps. And anybody that knows Sister Nina knows that the phone is going dead. We have no fellowship. Hello. You know what? That's the element we're dealing with right now in our country. That's what we're dealing with right now. Now, we have our problems, and we have to work at unity, and it says that we have to, you know, hold each other up. We have to work it. It's a journey, Pastor. It's a lifestyle, as you say. And uh, anybody who's had a sick child and has a child that's not sick, you don't throw away the sick child. You work with that sick child. You love that sick child. You defend that sick child because you understand that that sick child is worthy of just as much love, if not more, than a child that does not have those conditions. Amen? Amen. But somebody that don't want help, you really can't help. I received that. Now, when we go over to Numbers chapter 6, I want to look at about verse 6. And the word of God says this. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. So the thing is, we have to understand, Jesus' name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Hello? So when you're looking at a Nazareth or a high priest, 
or old priests, they know that they don't have nothing in common with dead bodies. Hello? They're not even supposed to touch them. So you have to understand when Jesus actually called this person to go preach, what did he do, Pastor? He anointed him. He fell under that. You know what I mean? When God calls you to certain things, certain assignments, other things have to fall off. They, you have to fall tall, totally a, away from them. When we look at Lot's wife, and Lot's wife, you know, she's wrestling, Pastor. Uh, yeah. You know, you're talking about looking back, it, when it, it, and you can't look back. So when we go back to Luke chapter 9, Pastor, will you read uh, the next two verses, 61 and, and uh, 62, and tell us about that so folks can understand about looking back when your hand is on the plow? Well, we, we, we back in Luke 9. Right, sir. And okay. uh, also in uh, Leviticus uh, chapter 21, verses 10 through 12, it also talked about that uh, the priest could not touch a dead body. Yeah, yeah. And Jesus um, is 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 Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So you know, there's we have to understand these people knew exactly what he was saying and what it meant. And he cuts the disciples no slack. Pastor, you have never cut me any slack. I want you to know he does not uh, differentiate between male and female. You're gonna have to hold the standard. And you don't get any slack cut on you yeah. at all. Pastor, you never made a difference. Oh, well, Sister Nina, she had to deal with some mother duties or she had to deal with some daughter duties. No. When you sign up for this and you recognize a call on your life, you have to be ready in season and out of season. So I want you to know, Pastor, I appreciate that. Amen. So well, we'll what, finish what, up what in verses? Luke chapter 9. Uh, it's just the next couple of verses. You know, we stopped at verse 60. Right. So I'd like you to take that over. We're doing a little tag team today. Are you, okay. are you feeling it, Pastor? Absolutely. Absolutely. It says, another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Uh I want to deal with this one before I move on to the next one. Okay. Uh, if this person is sincere about being on the right track with the Lord and following the Lord's instruction, first of all, if there was anybody at his house they ought to be following his leadership. They should be right there with him. He shouldn't even have to go back to the house. And if there's any at the house, you know what? I used to have a rule. Uh, my kids knew about this. If they invited friends to come over and sleep over, or if I had anybody who came in from out of town, when I left my house on Sunday morning for worship, if you was at my house, you was going with me to worship, <laughs> or you weren't staying at the house, you know. And it was like, because that's what we do as believers. And if you came to my house and you was an unbeliever, before you leave, we would address the issue, and you had to make a decision, and you had to decide whether I, mean, I wasn't going to make anybody do anything. I wasn't going to be my 
uh, uh, intention to try and make anybody do anything. I would present to them in a reasonable manner the gospel and then give them the opportunity to make a choice whether they wanted to choose heaven or hell. And, you know, there are people out there who they've been told that God sent people to hell. Well, God don't send people to hell. They choose to go when they reject Jesus Christ. So in, in, in verse 61 here, if this individual has to go back to the house to say farewell, he's going back to say farewell to folks that are not really on the same level or in the same graces because they have not established the relationship with the Lord that he has. Well, Pastor... So he shouldn't have to go back home for anybody. It ought to be right there to see. And if it's that person's time to depart from the earth, mm-hmm. and those people are part of his household, mm-hmm. they ought to already have their business straight, mm-hmm. so that when it comes time for them to depart... They will be where he is, you know, what Paul says, to be absent from the body of the present with the Lord. Amen. But, but the deal is, is that there's a whole lot I see in that one verse. And then if we go further, go to verse 62. Mm-hmm. But Jesus said to him, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of people would be confused about that. See, it's impossible for you to progress. And, of course, we, in in our time of training, Bible study, and things of that nature, and, you know, talking about living a Christ-like lifestyle, we talk about something uh, that's referred to as uh, progressive sanctification, and that's where your daily walk you are walking with God on a daily basis, and as you do, you grow closer to being more like God than you are like the world. Amen. So while we live in the world, we are not supposed to be of the world. And people need to be able to see the difference in our lifestyle and the way we live, the longer we walk with Christ, there's a progressiveness. We ought to be progressives. You hear that term used in politics. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it's not in relationship to what we're talking about, because we find that the longer folks are in politics, the more corrupt they become. And that's not all of them. But but there are some. We got some right now in Washington. Right. But the deal is, is that that is what it should be. That looking back, there's nothing back. There's nothing to to find looking back. And if we go to, um, I believe it's uh, Philippians chapter three. Uh, Pastor, we're coming down to the last three minutes. We can go to Philippians. But, you know, this is, you can't be half-hearted about recovery. You can't be half-hearted about your service for God. It takes a 100% commitment. 
total total commitment and this is what it's about it's the service it's not a volunteerism it's the service it's a total different thing total so we're going to philippians go ahead yeah i'm in philippians chapter 3 i'm gonna read verses 13 and 14 and here's how it reads okay brethren i do not count myself to have apprehended But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You can't accomplish that if you're doing what uh, was spoken against in Luke 9 and 62. Amen. You, you you can't go forward, you can't progress, you can't reach that uh, upward call looking back. Well, see, we have to... Ex- got to press ahead. Amen. We have to accept the cross along with the crown. That's Amen. That's what we have to do. They go hand in hand. You can't separate one. You know, you have a kingdom of, of, of nature busyness, things that go on every day, and you got the kingdom of grace. Right. And if you've been called to serve as God called this particular person, that's it. He said, go preach. That's what you're supposed to do. And if that's what he's called you to do, then I suggest you get to it. Amen. Amen. And, you know, recovery. You don't have to think about it. You need to be about it. Amen. Amen. And that's what it's it is. Something you know, that requires action. Amen. Because it's your life. It's your life. And we've been given a great opportunity. And I just wanted to thank you, you know, for just living it, Pastor, every day. And never getting tired. No matter what your body says, you're always there. We're counting down the last 30 seconds, 10 seconds now. We love you, Pastor. And as we say, save the loss at all costs to next week. God bless you. Amen. Amen. It is our humble prayer that the Most High God of all creation and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, continues to bless you and yours without cease for tuning in today and supporting this great move of God with your generous donations. Save the Lost at All Costs is a Holy Spirit-filled, live-called-in weekly radio ministry that has been airing since 2005 and serving in the greater Las Vegas community. We can be heard every Sunday at 3.02 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Las Vegas. Vegas's very own Christian Talk radio stations, 1060 AM and 101.5 FM. Also, we are audio and video streamed in real time during our live broadcast at www.kkvv.com and our website, www.savethelostlv.org. If you would like to re-listen to a previous broadcast at no charge, make an online secure donation, or learn more about our ministry, please visit our website at www.savethelostlv.org. If you prefer, you can mail in a donation. Address it to Save the Lost at All Cost, Inc., P.O. Box number 335852, North Las Vegas, 89033. Again, our P.O. Box number is 335852. 
833-5852, North Las Vegas, 89033. All donations made to Save the Lost at All Costs, Inc. are 100% tax deductible. For more information, please feel free to call or text us at 702-219-6882. Again, 702-219-6882. We would like to thank you again. Remember to remain in Christ, stay prayed up, Tune in and don't forget to save the lost at all costs, no matter what.